you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Himalaya. Hey, Betsy. You've joined us wearing boxing gloves. What's going on? I'm just back from my workout where I was sparring with a punching bag. That honestly sounds a little dull to me. Well, the good thing about working out with a punching bag is I can focus on my technique without having to think about what the bag's going to do next. Well, look out because Naz has just entered the ring. Are you up for a match, Betsy? How does this change things for you, Betsy? Yeah, this sounds a little bit more fun but I'm going to have to work a little bit harder. Sounds like you're going to have a lot more to think about now. That's right. Instead of just thinking about my technique, now i got to start thinking about what Naz is going to do. Is she going to use a jab or a hook, step back, step forward, lean left, lean right? I'm going to have to really be on my guard to think about what her next move is. Well, what do you think she's going to do next? Well, it's going to depend on what she thinks I'm going to do. Of course, my best response depends on what she does. And so it depends on what I think she thinks I'm going to do. And I'm pretty sure that'll depend on what she thinks that I think that she thinks that I'm going to do. (laughs) It sounds like turtles all the way down. Now, for those of you who are listening, you're probably thinking, what does all this boxing have to do with economics? Well, a lot of life is like a boxing ring. We don't mean everyone is out to punch each other, but that a lot of life involves strategic interactions which is the word we use to describe situations where your best decision depends on what others are going to do and their best choice depends on what you do. And strategic interactions are all around us, whether you're dealing with a business partner or a business rival, a geopolitical superpower or in your personal life. The study of strategic interactions is called game theory, and game theory is our topic for this week's episode of Think Like an Economist with me, Betsy Stevenson. And I'm Justin Wolfers. This is the podcast where we'll teach you the tools from economics to transform your life and help you make the best decisions from the boxing ring to the boardroom or even just catching up with a friend. Journalist and former economics student Nazdran Tabakali-Far joins us. People often hear the term game theory and they think it's about chess or some other sort of cerebral game. You know, Naz, I'm going to confess, that's what I thought when I signed up for the class in college. And it turns out it is kind of about games, but only if you think all of life is a game. We're talking about something far more broadly applicable here. Game theory is relevant whenever your best choice depends on what someone else is going to do and their best choice depends on what you're going to do. Most of life involves not just thinking about what you want to do, but what the people around you are going to do and how that affects what you should do. So if we go back to the boxing example... Betsy hitting a boxing bag is not a strategic interaction because the bag is just there and it's not going to do anything. However, Betsy sparring with me is a strategic interaction because what Betsy does is going to depend on what she thinks that I'm going to do. So this is the interdependence principle applied to decisions. And this sort of interdependence is everywhere. Let's move from the boxing ring to the business arena. 
As a business owner, you're going to have to think about what your rivals are going to do a lot. Take the example of trying to decide whether you should cut your prices. Whether you're going to get more customers is going to depend a lot on whether you expect your rivals to react by also cutting their prices. We also deal with strategic interactions in geopolitics. In fact, a lot of game theory was developed during the Cold War as the US tried to figure out how to respond to Soviet aggression and the Soviets tried to figure out how the US would counter. It's game theory, but it wasn't a game. Strategic interactions also happen just every day in our personal life. You know, should you go to that party on the weekend? Well, the answer is likely to depend on who you think is going. So what you want to do will depend on what they're going to do. And their choice might depend on whether you're going. But don't get overwhelmed. We can think through this systematically using four steps to help us make good strategic decisions. First, we need to consider all the possible outcomes from a scenario. And that means considering all the choices you may make and the choices the other party could make. For each possible outcome, think about the payoffs, which is to say what you stand to gain and what they stand to gain. Strategic interactions can get tricky if you start thinking about what they'll do, because that'll depend on what they think you think they'll do. And pretty soon you're thinking about what they think you think they think you think they think. And it feels like a hallway of mirrors. The second step gives us a simple way out of this. The second step tells us to think about each of their possible choices separately. Or as we like to say, think about each of the what-ifs separately. On to the third step. For each of these what-if scenarios, your goal should be to play your best response, which is to say make the choice that yields the best outcome or the highest payoff in that scenario. And the fourth and final step is to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Your best choice will depend on what you and the other person may do. So you'll need to consider things from their side too. It's best to get to grips with all this through an example. So let's do just that. We're going to look at a game called The Prisoner's Dilemma using our four-step approach. It's called The Prisoner's Dilemma because the original story used to illustrate it involves two criminals who we'll call Bonnie and Clyde. But before we dig in, realise this isn't just a story about prisoners. It's a metaphor for the many different ways in which it can be hard to get people to cooperate, even when it's in their best interest. So for this example, Betsy, you're going to be Bonnie and Justin, you're going to play Clyde. You've both just robbed a bank and fled from the scene. Now, I'm the police officer in charge, and I've arrested both of you. My problem is that if I can't persuade one of you to confess to robbing the bank, then I can only charge you for fleeing from the scene, which has a sentence of only one year. Clyde and I discussed this before our bank heist, and we both decided that we'll deny everything so that you can only get us on that minor charge of fleeing the scene. Well, the thing is, I'm not going to put you in the same jail cell, and I'm going to interview you about the crime separately. Hmm, this could be a problem. <laughs> Indeed. First up, it's you, Bonnie. If you help me out and rat Clyde out and confess, then I'm going to let you go free. But I'll use that confession to get a harsh three-year sentence for Clyde. Let me warn you, though, that if you persist with denying, and if Clyde rats you out, well, then I'll throw the book at you instead, and you'll get the harsh three-year sentence, and I'll let Clyde go free as thanks for the information. So, if we both deny, that's our original plan, we're going to get a year in jail each, right? That's right. And one more warning, if you both confess, then neither of you really did me much of a favour, so you'll each get two years. 
So we've now done step one, which is to think about all of the possibilities and their associated consequences. What I need to do now is move to step two and think about each of the what-ifs separately. Bonnie, whilst you deliberate, I'm going to hop over to Clyde, who's in a separate interview room. I'm going to offer him a similar deal, so he'll have the chance to rat you out and to go free. Hi, Clyde. Hey, Nez. Welcome to my jail cell. (laughs) So you fled from the bank heist. You can deny the crime or you can confess. Now, if you and Bonnie both deny the robbery, you'll spend a year in jail each. If you both confess, you'll both spend two years in jail. Well, that's easy. I'm just going to deny. Hang on, Clyde, I'm not done. If you confess and Bonnie persists with her denials, then as a measure of my gratitude, you'll go free and we'll throw the book at her so she gets three years. I'm going to warn you, though, if you deny and Bonnie confesses, she gets the free pass and I'll throw the book at you instead and you'll get three years. Well, I was going to deny, but let me think like an economist and move on to step two, which is to think about each of the what-ifs separately here. The first possibility is that Bonnie denies. Yeah, that was our original plan. Now, if she denies and I follow through on my promise to deny, then we'll each just get one year of jail. Is that what you want to do? Remember, if you rat her out, you'll go free. You're right, and I really want to avoid jail time. So if Bonnie denies, I'm better off confessing. And the other possibility is that Bonnie confesses. If she confesses and I deny, then it's like she ratted me out and I'll get three years. Right, and remember I told you that if you both confess, you'll get two years each. So again, I think I'm better off confessing. It seems like you're better off confessing whatever Bonnie does. That's right. So, look, forget that earlier plan we hatched. I'm going to confess to robbing the bank. Okay, I'm going to leave this room and head back to Bonnie. Hey, Bonnie, have you made up your mind? I know that Clyde and I told each other we'd deny... But I just can't stop thinking about what will happen if Clyde pulls out of our plan. Okay, tell me more. Well, if he confesses and I stick to the plan and deny, then you're going to give me three years. But if he confesses and I also confess, then I'm only going to get two years. So if he confesses, you also want to confess? Yeah, if he confesses, I really want to confess. But here's the thing. If he denies, I'm also better off confessing because... By ratting him out, you're going to let me go free. So you had this fabulous plan where you were each going to deny the crime, but now it sounds like you want to confess. The problem is I just don't trust him. Who's to say that I'm sitting here denying and thinking of what's best for both of us and he just thinks about himself and instead confesses and gets to go free? Denying is too risky. Clyde is not trustworthy enough. I'm going to confess. Are you sure? Yes. So Bonnie and Clyde both confess and both go to jail for two years. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E 
Byte.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, I'm done being Bonnie. I'm Betsy again. What we've just seen is something called a Nash equilibrium. That means if I'm making the best decision I can based on what I think Clyde is doing, then I have no incentive to make a different decision. And if Clyde is deciding what's best for him, given what he thinks Bonnie will do, then same, same. So in a Nash equilibrium, we're each doing the best we can, given what the other is doing. And so neither of us wants to change what we're doing. And that makes it an equilibrium. We need to be clear. A Nash equilibrium, that's our forecast for what will happen. We're not saying that it should happen or that it's the best outcome. But we're saying that when Bonnie and Clyde each pursue their individual self-interest, we may actually get to this outcome, which is worse for both of them. Don't forget, an equilibrium is a forecast of what's going to happen and not necessarily what's best for society. Now, here's the really big thing. Bonnie and Clyde could have cooperated with each other and stuck to their original plan. They could have both denied the crime and gotten one year each in jail. But when you separate each of them, Naz, they didn't trust each other. They didn't trust that they'd take the sweet deal you were offering if they confessed. So by not cooperating, Bonnie and Clyde ended up with a worse outcome. It's a worse outcome for each of them. It's a worse outcome for Bonnie, and it's a worse outcome for Clyde. Right. They'd have both been better off cooperating, but in the end they didn't. And now they're both worse off. Yeah, it's crazy, right? You know, I recall when I was an economics student, and we learnt about Adam Smith and the invisible hand, and how if you let the market do its thing, then everyone benefits. Or rather, if you allow people to pursue their self-interest, you'll end up with the best outcomes for everyone, which is a really idealistic notion. But this example seems to fly in the face of all of that. Yeah, because by thinking about themselves, Bonnie and Clyde ended up making decisions which aren't in their interests. They don't end up doing what would be mutually beneficial. This is one of the most important insights in social science, even when it's in our joint interest to cooperate, sometimes we fail. Adam Smith was thinking about perfect competition. When you have lots and lots of businesses in a market, one person's choice doesn't affect the other person that much. But when you're dealing with situations outside of that, well, your best choice will depend on the best choices of others. So you need to think hard about all this. Remember, game theory is about strategic interactions, those cases where your best choice depends on what other people choose. That doesn't really apply to perfect competition. We ended up with Bonnie and Clyde thinking that the other may dob them in, so the best choice was to save themselves and to confess. So the Nash Equilibrium is both confessing and getting two years in jail each. The prisoner's dilemma comes up in all sorts of scenarios, not just ones involving jail time. Think about politics. Yeah, so... I think there's too much money in politics. And if I run for Congress, I want to commit to not taking corporate donations. I'm going to run against you. But I'm also disgusted by the influence of money in politics. And so given that we both agree on this noble aim, Betsy, 
it should be pretty easy for us to agree not to take corporate donations. I'm guessing it's going to be harder than that, though, because of the prisoner's dilemma. Betsy, tell me what you're thinking. Well, if Justin takes a lot of corporate contributions and I refuse them, then I'm not going to achieve anything because I won't get elected. So I feel that if Justin accepts donations, I'm going to have to accept donations as well. And if Betsy decides to take corporate contributions, then I'm going to have to accept them as well for the same reason. The alternative is letting Betsy buy herself an election. So there's a Nash equilibrium here in which Betsy accepts corporate contributions because she fears that Justin will. And Justin accepts corporate contributions because he feels that Betsy will. Neither of you want money in politics, but you both accept money. Now remind me of why. If Justin's taking their money, my best response is to take their money. And given that Betsy's going to accept corporate money, my best response is to take corporate money. There's a better world out there, but I don't know if I trust Justin enough to help us get there. And like Betsy, I want to get rid of money in politics, but honestly, I don't trust her to take the first step. And so you're both sort of trapped in this outcome that neither of you want. That really is a dilemma. Yep, it's the prisoner's dilemma. We've just looked at strategic interactions where there can be a difficulty with cooperation. So both parties end up with a worse outcome than if they had cooperated. There are also strategic interactions which may become tricky due to issues with coordination. This is less about each party not trusting the other, and it's more about problems with coordinating with each other. Right, and thinking about coordinating can come up in everyday life. I mean, when I first started dating Justin, we'd talk on the phone. If the phone call dropped out, you think, should I call him back or should I let him call me back? Why is this a strategic interaction? Well, I want to organize a date with him and I can call him back and continue planning where we're going, what time we're meeting, or I can wait for him to call. I mean, if he's interested, surely he'll call back. And I'm pretty much thinking the same thing. I mean, I want to go on a date with Betsy, so I'm happy to call to sort it out. But maybe I should wait for her to call back, because if I pick up the phone as she's calling, then we'll never connect. It's such a delicate balance. (laughs) Tell me about it. So what if you're both being really carpe diem and assertive and both of you call back? Well, then we can both end up getting each other's voicemail. Or you can both wait for the other person to call. And then we might not end up speaking at all. The problem here is we both want to have the conversation so we can organise that next date. So there are two outcomes that would work well for both of us. Either Betsy waits and I call back, or I wait and Betsy calls back. The problem is that we might never get to either of these. If I think Betsy's going to call, I'll wait. But if I'm wrong and she's waiting, we'll never connect. This sounds kind of trivial, but... Really, the way to think about this is the phone is just a metaphor for the difficulties of coordinating when your best choice depends on what someone else does. In our macroeconomic season, we talked about expectations and how what people expect can end up happening. Well, that's got a lot to do with coordination games. For example, you'll often see newspaper reporters, the media start talking about a recession, which will lead people to feeling a little bit nervous about spending And then businesses worry that people aren't going to spend, so they cut their production and they freeze hiring and so on. And all those worried murmurs about a recession, they can actually end up causing a recession. This is really interesting. Let's break this down a bit. Betsy, should we say you're the representative for all businesses in the economy? And Justin, you represent all workers who then go out and spend their wages. 
So basically, Betsy's the aggregate supply side of the economy and I'm aggregate demand. Yes. Now, what's going on here? Well, businesses usually have two options. We can produce a lot of goods and services and therefore also hire a lot of workers, or we can cut back on production and hiring. We workers have choices as well. We can go out there and spend our wages, or we can cut back on spending if we're worried about losing our jobs. Now, let's see what happens by breaking this situation up into a series of what-ifs. What if Betsy's businesses produce and hire a lot? Justin, how will your workers respond? Well, we feel like we have job security, so we're going to spend a lot of money. Okay, and Betsy, what's your best response to workers spending a lot? It makes sense for us to keep producing a lot, which means that we have to hire a lot of workers. Okay, so this is an equilibrium. If Justin's workers are spending a lot of money, Betsy's best response is to produce a lot of things for them to buy. They're each making the best response based on what the other is doing, and this is what we call a Nash equilibrium. And this good equilibrium is basically good economic times. Now let's look at the other what-if scenario. What if Betsy's businesses are cutting back? Hiring's down and Betsy's factories aren't producing as much. Justin, how will your workers respond? We're worried about losing our jobs, so we're going to spend less. And Betsy, how will you respond to Justin's workers spending less money? Well, if people aren't buying as much, then we need to produce less, which means that we don't need as many workers, so we'll probably have to cut our workforce. So now we're at another Nash equilibrium. You're each playing your best response to what the other person is doing. The sad thing here is that this is a Nash equilibrium which yields a recession. And our overall point is that when both parties can't coordinate with each other, we can end up with more than one equilibrium. And sometimes one is a really good outcome, like a boom, and the other is a really bad outcome, like a recession. And the problem is we can get stuck in the bad equilibrium, even though we all prefer the good equilibrium. And this is why expectations are so important. If I can convince Justin's workers to believe we're in a good equilibrium, they'll buy a lot, and that's enough to convince me to produce a lot. But if they don't believe me, they'll worry about their jobs and cut back on their spending. And that's the problem that FDR was talking about when he warned that the only thing to fear is fear itself. So today's tour of game theory seems pretty grim. The prisoner's dilemma tells us that it can be hard to get people to cooperate, even when it's in their best interest. And coordination games tell us that it can be hard to get us to coordinate on the better of many options. So Naz, let me conclude with a bit of good news instead. All the examples we've been talking about are what economists call one-shot games, in which you and your rival get to meet once and you both make decisions at the same time. But in the real world, we interact with our friends, our colleagues, and our business or political partners many, many times. We form relationships and we interact repeatedly. And this matters because there's a more advanced part of game theory that analyzes these repeated interactions. And it comes up with a sunnier conclusion that even though it can be hard to cooperate or coordinate on good outcomes, when you work with someone over time, you can often figure it out. Do you have some homework for our listeners to think about with their newfound insight into game theory? The big one, as you go about through your week, I want you to start to recognise all the places where game theory applies to your life. That's any strategic interaction. So whatever your next choice is, ask yourself whether your best choice depends on what someone else chooses. If so, you might be able to apply the tools from today's show. And realise that not everything in life is either a prisoner's dilemma 
or a coordination game. But if you practice, you'll start to recognize that these ideas apply in many aspects of your life. Betsy, Justin, thank you. I'm going to start thinking about all the what-ifs in all my interactions this week. And if you do that, then maybe my best choice is to think about the what-ifs too. It is turtles all the way down, Naz. Thank you.